Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights C-Suite Conversations. I'm your host, John McIndoe, Chief Marketing Officer here at IRI. IRI integrates big data, predictive analytics, and forward-looking insights to help companies in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets grow their businesses. We also share our thought leadership with the industry at large with the goal of addressing and tackling key challenges within our industry. Our special C-Suite Conversation series features notable leaders talking about the future of CPG and retail. In this episode of IRI C-Suite Conversations, we're joined by Chris Moy, Chief Executive Officer of Sales and Marketing Services Company, Crossmark, who serves the consumer and retail industries. Since joining the company in 2019, Chris has been driving dramatic change, repositioning the company for a digital future. Chris leverages success in transforming companies in other industries as diverse as technology, consumer goods, and automotive. In today's episode, we're talking with Chris about being at the unique crossroads of brick and mortar and e-commerce shopping experiences, and how COVID-19 is accelerating changes that were in motion pre-pandemic. Today, we'll also talk about some of the challenges retailers and CPGs have worked through during the pandemic and what the future holds. Leading today's discussion is IRI's President of Strategic Analytics, KK DeVay, and IRI's Retail Chief Operating Officer, Korean Thomas. Welcome, gentlemen. And with that, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, John, and welcome, Chris. It's great to have you in this conversation today. Uh, in past uh, C-suite conversations, we've had executives from, from both CPG and retail join, but you play a unique role in the CPG retail value chain as a sales and marketing agency. So we thought it'd be good if you could start by just uh, talking for a minute about what Crossmark and other sales and marketing agencies do and the role they play in that value chain. Right. Well, Looking forward to the conversation. Glad to be here. Uh, sales and marketing agencies, in a lot of ways, are the operational guts of the connectivity between the CPG brands who have their products trying to get to the end consumer in partnership with the retailers. And we do a lot of the, the, the work on behalf of the sales functions as well as the marketing functions. Fantastic. Um, building on that, Chris, you know, you joined Crossmark uh, partly, I think, mainly because of your transformation experience. And as John mentioned in the introduction, you've been leading uh, a repositioning of the company for a digital future, right? So could you maybe talk a little bit more about that transformation you're driving at, at uh, Crossmark and, and how you're bringing that to life? Sure. Um you know, so I, I find myself having the most fun I've ever had in my life because it's actually allowing me to work with a bunch of very talented people who, quite frankly, were in survival mode for many years as the industry reset it, itself in many ways. And we came on board and I'm used to doing this from my previous experience in places like McKinsey and then more recently with IBM, where I did literally digital transformation um, futures for companies, global companies, leading companies that were trying to foresee 
how they could leverage technology as they go forward. And what a great time to be doing that. But in response to COVID, I mean, it's just fantastic. So, um, you know, look, I think there are many transformations that happen at the same time when people talk about digital transformation. There's an operational transformation that has to happen. There's financial and perhaps more, one of the mo- more important ones is the cultural transformation or, you know, often it's the, like the IQ is figuring things out, the right answer, so to speak. But EQ is how you get things done and having a culture that embraces um, test and learn in the uncertainty of the future is really a key part of where we're going. And it's, again, what a better time to do it than during COVID. <laughs> How did uh, COVID really change uh, your transformation initiatives, right? How did you reprioritize? I'm sure you know, whatever you laid out as a plan in January of last year didn't stick by April or May, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's like the overused cliche that everybody says COVID changed everything. Uh, yeah. We actually started off the year with good momentum coming out of 2019. We, we finished the year pretty well. And then coming into 2020, we actually started very strong. We were ahead of plan. We were into March and things were looking great. And then in our case, we call it the week from hell, but we got hit with a cyber attack that brought us to our knees. And later the same week, we got shut down by one of our biggest clients, our customers, uh, Sam's Club Events where they said, hey, we're going to put a pause on all events, you know, because of the sensitivity around COVID. So suddenly everything changed for us in that one week. So there was definitely a bells were ringing. Things are not going to be the same going forward. So so what did you have to readjust as a result of um, these two big events uh, in March, if you can just go back to your decision making during those times? Well, I, I'll, I'll address the different parts of the business. Obviously, from a technology standpoint, we needed to get back running, right? And quite frankly, yeah. we had already started on an assessment of our infrastructure and what we needed to do to survive and thrive into the digital age. So we had that already underway. And ironically, we had found that we had some weaknesses in we since put in place a state-of-the-art platform around that. So that's like the foundational layer that you have to operate with today. So we had a precipitating event. We addressed that much faster than we expected because we had to. But that's pretty much the theme of what happened in 2020 for us. We had things underway. We had teed up the idea of doing digital marketing, digital events in February and then, of course, mid-March happened, and we got very motivated on making those happen really fast. So that by September, we had to turn those into real products, and it was producing you know, positive client impact, a tremendous response we got from our clients by applying new technology, new thinking, because COVID gave us an opening. It just accelerated. So that's, a, that's an example in marketing. Yeah, yeah. And what about sales? Sales would have been challenging with the surge in demand, but unable to go into stores and meet customers. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have two key parts of the sales agency business. This is the way we, we talk about it. One is the headquarters selling that we do. 
And initially, you know, the shelves went bare all of a sudden. So those people yeah. were primarily shifted away from how am I going to promote my product, but how do I get the product? It was a supply chain uh, allocation challenge for all, it seems like every single manufacturer in America was suddenly out of stock. The shelves came, came clear and that translated into challenges for our retail rep business. And for example, many of the people that were on the front lines um, found themselves, you know, as essential workers facing off directly with COVID challenges. So out of stocks on one hand, demand for their services never been greater. On the other hand, their health, they're on the front lines. And it became very apparent to everybody how important their role really is. Did you have to deprioritize something that you, Adam, you know, must do in 2020 because of all of this changes? Well, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we went through a period of time when, you know, suddenly our entire marketing services business was put into what I call the induced coma phase. I mean, yeah. it went from a robust firing on all cylinders, everybody out in the field to suddenly no demand at all overnight. I mean, in my previous life, I, I was in a financial restructuring uh, business during the financial crisis. And I never thought I'd see such a thing again. This one was worse. I mean, the magnitude of change, just instant, you know, from 100 to zero right now. And so the emphasis became, what do we got to do to make sure we get through this and our people get through this safely, you know, on financial fronts, on, you know, safety fronts, et cetera. So we de-emphasize things to prioritize those. That's what I what I would say. So, Chris, um, how do you see uh, all of this coming together? The the, the digital um, uh, marketing and omni-channel sales uh, from a consumer and from a retailer perspective, and how do you uh, how do you see uh, services evolving to meet uh, the, the the needs of the marketplace in the future? Yeah. So what makes this a unique marketplace to work in is all the different channels, all the different products. There's like 316 different categories that we work in, you know, in the grocery store alone, right? If you go to Amazon, it's a lot more of what they offer, et cetera. So the complexity here is quite significant. To have a strategic roadmap with an uncertain future means to say, Let's pick some North Star kind of characteristics that we think are, are going to hold up. And then let's do test and learn to link. Here's what we think from a top-down perspective. And here's what we're seeing from a bottom-up perspective. And that's the methodology that we use ultimately is increasingly we go from a very small group of people at the top, kind of getting more of the business leaders and the people that manage the processes to say, okay, well, if this is true, how does your piece play a role? And we ultimately came up with this vision of how all the pieces are going to ultimately fit together, which is quite a different view of the way that this organization and even within, you know, the, the consumer goods area has typically operated. You know, the sales department does what the sales department does. The marketing department does what they do. And the operations guys do what they do and the finance. And so we all know about those. Yeah. 
Corian's laughing because he knows it's true. Everybody's lived through, they see it quite different. So we're trying to get everybody to have a view of if we're trying to optimize commercial spend on behalf of our clients and customers, and that's the game, and we're in an environment where data is growing exponentially, it's coming at people so fast that they can't possibly comprehend what it all means. And looking for those patterns is really better done with advanced technology tools. How do we get that and get visibility about how we can we can put a specific offer in front of you, KK, that's different than, than me or Corinne. How do we make sure that in your environment, you get the right offer? That's the holy grail today. And then on top of that, how do we execute all the way to the front lines to make that happen? That's a lot of heavy lift. But if we say, here's the way we see these parts interacting. Here's our headquarters sales function. Here's our retail function. Here's our marketing services function. Ultimately, we're still trying to get to what we call the grand vision. This is smarter way to faster growth, better allocate your resources to get better growth, more profitable growth for our clients, better satisfaction at the consumer. Ultimately, it's all the same stuff. New tools, new data, new ways of looking at the world can give us better answers. Just going back, uh, Chris, to your uh, point on technology earlier, right? <clears throat> you talked about COVID accelerating a lot of the things you had planned in terms of services enabled by technology. But if you apply that same thinking, as I know you and I have talked a little bit about offline, in terms of how technology can enable a more efficient, effective workforce um, that supports your, you know, more efficiency across the value chain and allows you to create more value. What are the kinds of things you're doing from that perspective? Yeah. So, so this is a 105 year old company, you know, and the base of this business is on the people that are doing the work we're talking about. There's, we got 20,000 people plus doing those kind of tasks across America right now. In today's environment where essential workers are increasingly being recognized for the value that they and the important role that they play in society, their wages are going to go up. We should want to pay them more. I want to pay our people more. That is a shift from what the environment has been, where people just said, hey, I don't see that as core business. I'm just going to try to cost optimize around that. And so there was a tendency to go for lowest common denominator, you know, costs. Basically, you get the cheapest person you could get. I think that's ill-considered in today's day and age and certainly in tomorrow's day and age. I mean, we've talked about applying technology and applying technology to drive ROI on behalf of our clients and customers. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of money spent but whether or not that money is well allocated, I think we can do a better job with the, the leveraging of technology to do that. And in so do it, doing, we can pay our people more. We're going to ask them to be higher skilled people. We're going to ask them to do different things, things that are going to drive ROI. And when we get that better ROI, there's money to be shared with our people on the front lines. That's what I'm hoping to accomplish. 
That's great. And, you know, you talked a little bit about an example earlier on, I think it was offline in a conversation we had about uh, on-shelf availability alerts and how you're using that technology as an example to direct your workforce. Um, you know, maybe you could speak a little bit more about, about, about that application. Yeah. So I, I remember more than 20 years ago, I was at Campbell Soup and I remember working with Walmart on RFID because everybody thought at the time RFID was the key to on-shelf availability. So it just goes to show the challenges are the same. The technology now that's available is different. In this case, we have been working with you guys on how do we take some of those alerts, which are basically machine learning type of, did you notice that maybe this is out of stock because nothing's running through the cash register. And that's particularly magnified in today's environment, which is different than it was a year ago, because now we have click and collect mostly being pulled from the shelf. So it may have been on the shelf overnight when the stockers went through and checked the shelves, but during the day, somebody goes through and pull, 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 and suddenly you're out of stock. So the normal recycling might not be until next week. Having that signal and sending somebody in to address that out of stock makes a huge difference. And we've known that for a long time. That's been a focus area for, for us. We used to call it cost per incremental dollar. That was one of the best investments you could make is addressing out of stocks, right? That's always been the case. And we have a better way to do it now. Where do you see the new normal, right? What, what are you hearing from your clients? about, you know, and we're just going to start asking on a couple of uh, fronts, right, about, you know, innovation. I'll ask about other dimensions, right? Where do you see them uh, moving towards? What, what are they kind of planning? What are they doing with you? Where do you see the industry evolving? Well, as you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have some of the best. We have relationships with some of the leading CPG companies, mm -hmm. some of the biggest, most sophisticated, most forward-thinking people in the world in consumer packaged goods. And then on the retail side, we have the same. So we work with the Walmarts and the Sam's Clubs and the Kroger's, Kroger's, et cetera. So, you know, like for example, Kroger is leading the way on customizing advertising targeted for you as an individual. We're working with them on that kind of an effort right now. In other areas, you know, where we have deep relationships with retail, we service them in the retail area and probably some in the, in the headquarters sales as well. They're interested in what does the future of retail look like? You know, because we have a unique perspective. We work with many CPG companies. We work with many retailers. And so you have the opportunity to scan and see what's yeah. happening and then taking those best practices and working together with their smart people, we can come up with a strategy that wins in the future. So what is the future of retail? <laughs> yeah, I wish I had uh, my, my crystal ball is a little foggy, but, you know, I think we have some principles in mind as we build that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, number one, it's still going to be driven on return on investment. No question. Mm -hmm. This is the I remember Larry McWilliams was uh, my chief customer officer. I worked with very closely at Campbell Soup and he used to say, you know, like 80% of all a sales is driven by whether or not you got the product on the shelf, you know, and then it's a yeah. packaging and advertising and all that. So 
winning at the shelf is really, really important. And still, even in today's e-commerce growth, you're still getting the vast majority of sales are still happening in brick and mortar, one, one way or another. It may be delivered to your house, but it's coming out of that store. And you see, you know, the, the Targets and the Walmarts using their stores as distribution centers. So I think recognizing that the channels are going to ch- change a little bit and there are cross implications like we've rarely seen before, rarely seen before, like Omnichannel, I've talked about, if you ring up the sale, you know, a year ago, two years ago, those were the people sitting over there in the corner working on the e-commerce website. It was a small percentage of sales. Now it's a meaningful percentage of sales and growing fast all the time. And it has an impact on store operations. So more and more, I think we're getting into crossing the lines, the traditional silos. That's, that's a big part of what's happening in the future of retail. And, and who is paying for all of these costs, right? So, you know, the, the click and collect and the curbside and all of that. How do you see those dynamics playing out in the next 12 to 18 months? Well, we hope to be working with, uh, with partners that, that will work with us on a collaborative solution, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes, and I, I grew up in the auto industry, sometimes, you know, the instinct is just beat up the suppliers, beat on the, on the guys that are at the end of the line and they end yeah. up in a bad way. I think as we move forward, these are relatively complex problems to solve for. And there will be some pushing and pulling between the retailers and the CPG companies about, I want you to allocate money here versus there. At the end of the day, the money's going to flow to where the returns are going to maximize, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. impact. Do you see trade promotion spend uh, coming down at all? Uh, you know, the industry spends quite a bit on trade promotion, as you probably know, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly it has come down during the COVID period because, you know, if you just worry about getting the product on the shelf, you're not worried yeah. about optimizing, you know, selling yeah. more to be out of even more out of stock. Um, but yeah. as we move forward, it will come back. And I think there will be different tactics for different channels of di- distribution. Um, there has been a lot less, you know, um, stuff in store you know, because people are oriented today towards, I want to get in and get out. You know, I don't want any yeah. distractions. I don't want people giving me samples yet, but it's starting to come back. And I think that ties back to your comment question about the vaccines earlier. People are aching yeah. to get back to normalcy, but at the same time, some of these changes are not going to snap back maybe ever, maybe ever. And so we have to mi- migrate our business practices as a result. Which which ones will never come back, do you think, in your opinion? To a large extent, I think what we've seen is an acceleration of trends that were already underway, right? So yeah. Omnichannel was already growing. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a move to, you know, plant-based, simple ingredient, that kind of stuff that will continue. Yeah. I think we saw some move to comfort foods and things that may end up being shorter term in nature, depending on what people's lifestyles actually look like. So, you know, hard to say. I mean, quite frankly, I don't pretend to to know the answer to that stuff. I know that the change 
the rate of change is important here. And so we've doubled down on data. I mean, we're, we're surrounded by data. We've yeah. recast the way we think about things in terms of data flows, because that, that's the opportunity as we look forward. Yeah, some of the some of the manufacturers, do you think will kind of bring back all of those innovations and refill the shelves, or you know, will will some of it, you know, the assortment that went away, will it be gone? For instance, right? So that that that's the kind of perspective that um, you know your organization probably has, right? Yeah, well, I, I think clearly there's been a a push on the part of the operations people, yeah. To, to streamline offering in the yeah. short term. And that was yeah. purely driven for, you know, let's get fill rates up, right? So if we don't have to have so many changeovers, we can drive more volume through our limited capacities. That's been critically important. But what it's done is essentially been a great experiment with, experiment with the consumer. Mm-hmm. So narrower assortments have resulted in higher sales. That's not typically what the argument has been. Always the argument yeah. was I can give an incremental skew and I can get incremental volume. It was always yeah. the question of whether or not it was truly incremental or it was cannibalizing what you would have had otherwise. This is a unique time. We're learning new new lessons as a result, I'd say. Yeah. Korean? Yeah, I was I was just going to build on the theme, Chris, of omni-channel, right? That you talked a little bit about. You know, we we've touched on that in a number of different ways, but you know, clearly, in the last year, e-commerce has taken off, right? And you know, I think we all expect that that level of e-commerce will stay at an elevated level relative to in-store, right? But the last year has been, you know, everyone's. If you are not already in e-commerce as a retailer people jumped in. Those that were prepared did better, but it all came at a higher cost. <clears throat> and many retailers extending what they're offering with endless aisle initiatives and things like that, right? In that world, in a, in a much more of an omni-channel world, like what are the services you are building or, or strategically thinking about to help retailers, uh, especially brick and mortar retailers, where I think you're traditionally stronger in, right? To help them be successful, ideally more profitably um, as they grow. Yeah, well, I mean, the short answer is we wanna be a one-stop shop, okay? So we're gonna build industrial scale to connect what our clients, CPG, are trying to do and deliver to the retailers and to their consumers that use those retailer channels, right? So either in-store or online. We wanna give our clients visibility so that we can optimize their commercial spend as KK pointed out. I mean, it's a big number that we're talking about here. Optimizing how you address the consumer that is online and the consumer that is in the store should have some commonality and some differences. And so our ability to actually segment that stuff out through content development, content presentation, A-B testing, stuff like that, search engine optimization, those become the, the key issues online. Whereas today it's like, well, I got five SKUs and two feet, well, it, am I going to get one of those SKUs to be my client's SKU or is it going to be replaced by somebody else's 
that's the game that traditionally has been played in brick and mortar. And that's all the levers that we use across our sales and marketing capability set. We need to develop some new capabilities, but we're not going to develop all those internally. We are partnering with companies, data companies, service companies, lots of companies across the ecosystem, because I think this is going to be obviously a big idea. And the idea of giving what I call the holy grail viewpoint, which increasingly we see the most sophisticated clients and customers are moving to. They want to see on one screen what is going on with this product across the different channels that are available. That's what we're trying to deliver. So for us, that's headquarter sales. That's what do we have going on in the store on the shelf? And what do we have going on online? So digital marketing, as you know, that's not a new thing. That's been growing for a while and it will continue to grow for a long time. Because you can tell what the ROI is. And it's hard to do in some of the other areas. You know, the old saying about 50% of my advertising money is wasted is that does not apply in digital marketing. You know what works. From that perspective, Chris, you know, as 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 you know, so certainly from a digital marketing and analytics and, and insights, right? You know, you're you're building some of that capability to serve your clients, partnering with with others in the along the value chain. But in terms of fulfillment, and you talked a little bit about how fulfillment is more challenging when, you know, with click and collect, people are picking off of the you know off of the shelf to fulfill orders. But you know, retailers are also trying to balance footprint and have more dedicated fulfillment centers for click and collect or delivery. Do you, are, are there services you're building to support that side of the business uh, for brick and mortar retailers? And is it diff- any different than what you have for, for the retail stores? Yeah, so, so I think there's a recognition that tomorrow is gonna to be different than yesterday. And there is a recognition that there is not a clear answer for all retailers, that we need to customize that solution for the retailer. So I would look at it as we have many test and learn type of activities going on across many different retailers and many different clients. And we're always looking for additional partners of our clients or new clients, new customers to do that with. You know, the Kroger one is a good example. We find out what Kroger wants to do. We say, we'd like to play with that. Let's figure out how we can get connected Kroger plus clients and we help facilitate making that happen. We're, we're great facilitators that way. And, and how do you, Chris, um, and, and I think you may have touched upon this in various things. I just wanted you to, if you will, sum it up to say, how would um, you know the future of a sales and marketing agency such as yourself evolve you know, in say next two to five years, as you know, sales becomes more digital, uh, or marketing becomes more digital, sales becomes more online, omni, right? Uh, what are the areas that you're kind of consciously trying to leverage and play in, in, in the new world? Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess uh, I am a product of my, my history. And, you know, I did grow up in what I call, you know, many call industry 3.0. That was the early part of my career. It's very clear to me, coming from McKinsey and IBM before I came here, that we're in industry 4.0. 
So, yeah. I mean, you ask me that kind of question, it's kind of like putting chum in the water. I think this is a digital ecosystem that is very fast evolving around mm-hmm. the availability of big data and analytics and having the ability to optimize ROI is a dream come true for the application, real application of these technology tools that exist today. And it is a matter of getting people to learn how to use those tools and then fully integrate them with the way that we work. Mm-hmm. And that's why I am having the time of my life doing this. I love this place. <laughs> this is so fun. Yeah. Yeah. So let's transition to a little bit of your own leadership styles and, uh, you know, how you're transforming uh, Crossmark and what are your lessons? Korean, I know you're kind of eager to get on that uh, topic. So you started off, Chris, or early on in the conversation, you talked about people and talent, right? And, and needing not just to have the IQ to solve problems, but the EQ, right? And uh, I think we all know from our long careers that often the hardest part of change is is people, right? Not the technology or the product. So when you, and and Crossmark is a 25,000 plus strong organizations, you know, it's a organization with a long history as well, right? So what would you say when you joined Crossmark from a change management, cultural change management perspective, that you found easier than expected or you were anticipating to be harder and it just proved to be much easier. And on the other hand, what has been more challenging and how you've sort of led, led, continue to lead the organization through that change. Yeah. So, so uh, the relatively easy things that lead to mind is my predecessor actually invested in the development of what we call bridges, which is our corporate value set. And what I found to be easier than expected is that people actually did believe in that stuff. I mean, a lot of times I've walked into a lot of companies before and here's our mission, here's our values and all that. And you're like, well, okay, that's anywhere. Mm -hmm. They actually live that is what you find out after you've been there for a while. And it's, it's not uncommon to find a disconnect between what they say and what they actually do, right? So I would say that was good. People had good intents. These were good people, very, very good people, very smart people, very passionate about the business. They want to win. They want to serve our, our clients and, and get our clients to win. That was all very good, strong, foundational stuff. What I would say the maybe traditional problems that I've seen, but one that is a challenge to overcome is siloed thinking. People, you know, the the old metaphor about, you know, how you control a full-grown elephant is when they're young by putting a stake in the ground and connecting that elephant when they're young and they can't pull the stake out of the ground when they're young. And then later you can just put the ankle bracelet around the elephant, not even put a stake in the ground at all. And And the elephant thinks they can't move and so they don't move. And so, you know, I've read a lot of books on change and it starts with the mindset. It starts with the mindset and siloed organizational thinking on top of that, where all I have to do is move my widgets from here to there, move this paperwork from here to there, just answer my emails and I survive. That's yesterday's thinking if there ever was one. So those are the kind of challenges from a mindset perspective that 
we had to overcome to move forward. Fantastic. And, and you know, along those lines, um, you know, you are driving change from the top, right? You have a vision. You're building on, sounds like, what your predecessor and, and some of the strengths of the organization. But rapid transformation, especially in today when pace is important, comes if the organization ground up embraces the change, right? So in terms of driving innovation and change bottoms up, right? What kinds of things are you either incentivizing or, you know, how are you trying to build that bottoms up as well? Yeah, uh, that's a tremendously insightful question. So thank you for that. I think it actually, um, in large scale change, you need some direction from the top. There's no question about that. But in order for it to be sustainable, you need it to be bottoms up. And the question is, how do you get those two to come together? The way we did that is quite frankly, something that I've learned over the course of my career. Again, you know, a lot of this was what I did at McKinsey, which was a structured framework approach, right? No surprise. When I was at IBM, I was able to actually take that methodology and apply it to, well, how do you do it in a digital world? And in this case, you guys know better than many, the future is not the same as the past because the tools enable a different future, a different answer. Like we were just talking about OSA, same problem, new tools, new approaches, new answers. That's what we're looking for. So I think directionally, the senior team got together my first time in October, again in January, and then we put on a big push in the May, June, July timeframe. Once we kind of settled down post-COVID, everybody's working from home, it's kind of stable. We said, hey, the world's going to be different. Let's get ready for it. We started challenging each other of what do we think the best practices are going to look like. So again, we don't know currently what the total answer is going to be, but we have directionally said, hey, digital ecosystem and the use of technology is going to be core to our future. No question about it. You know, building on that, I think this is one place where, among many others, where I think uh, diversity and inclusion plays a different, you know, a really powerful role, right? In order to change thinking, having people with different perspectives from different backgrounds really mixes it up and you know, allows you to test and learn faster, right? Because there are different ideas to test. It's not a monolithic view. What's, you know, uh, you know, how have you leveraged that or where is Crossmark on the journey, if you will, on diversity inclusion? Yeah. So, um, look, you know, this is a service business. The rubber hits the road in the front lines, right? So, The reality is those front lines are facing a lot of diverse circumstances. There happens to be diverse people in those roles as well. So they're seeing different things and they're seeing things differently at the same time, both of which have to be considered as we develop this new model to move forward, right? So quite frankly, this is another thing we all, you know, recognize 2020 was a milestone year for the way diversity came into the mainstream. And, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate to have opportunities to work with diverse people over the course of my entire career. And so for me, it's kind of a natural thing to do, but 
embedding that into the culture of the company has been something we've definitely focused on. Very, very interesting. Very fascinating. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, Over to you, John. Thank you, Chris, KK, and Korean. What truly insightful perspective. For our viewers and listeners, I thought I'd recap a few of the key takeaways I personally gleaned from this great conversation. Chris, you talked about sales and marketing agencies being the critical connector for CPG and retail, but the industry needs transformative thinking approaches and technologies to act with speed. I loved your comment about how we've moved into industry 4.0. 4.0 embraces data, technology, and analytics to rise to the occasion and drive growth. At IRI, we wholeheartedly concur. It's a tremendously exciting time to be in our industry. Crossmark is in the midst of a unique digital transformation, moving from essentially survival mode to embracing technology, operational transformation, and frankly, EQ transformation to address the pandemic and the opportunities and challenge that it has presented in a far more accelerated manner. Fortunately, many of the plans that I just mentioned were already well in the works prior to the pandemic. So you really had a nice platform from which to spring in and drive accelerated transformation. You talked about how you had to rapidly extend into digital events and experiences to support HQ-based selling, as well as in-the-field agency marketing services, which was certainly challenged significantly due to in-store safety precautions. I was really heartened to hear about the mindset shift that you mentioned on the critical role that marketing services plays to ensure America gets fed, products are in the right place, and the pivot to health and safety to ensure that your team was safely supporting your customers. You also delved into some new areas of opportunity and some approaches that you're embracing. On the marketing front, increasing personalization in consumer marketing activations, identifying trends that will shape the future of retail, and then providing recommendations to help manufacturers as well as retailers take advantage of these trends, essentially helping them stay one step ahead, a mantra I know that IRI certainly subscribes to. You talked about labor cost optimization and your philosophy on the need to increase pay for critical frontline people and instead use technology to create efficiencies and empower those associates to deliver higher value impact and insights to help your clients drive growth. You talked about channel shifting and omni-channel. Clearly silos are being broken down and the lines are blurring, but that there's tension in the system. You talked about your commitment to partnering with clients to find new solutions and a variety of strategies and tactics to tackle these highly complex issues. At the end of the day, your comment about the money will flow to where the return on investment is greatest makes a lot of sense to me. And then finally, on the assortment and promotion front, today we're seeing narrower in-store assortments drive incremental growth. This has not been the historical trend. So it's calling for a new looking at assortment, price and promotion to meet current as well as future needs. I thought your perspective relative to trends evolution was really interesting. Clearly the rate of change is the constant and the need for data from partners like IRI can keep everyone focused on those rapid shifts so that they can pivot and act quickly. 
Specifically, you talked a little bit more about how you're helping brick and mortar retailers, how Crossmark wants to be the one-stop shop at industrial scale so that CPGs can deliver growth through their retail partners, either in-store or online. You mentioned that no single retailer is the same, and so you emphasize the value of embracing partnership and a partnership spirit to test and learn. Spanning this thinking from traditional in-store execution to supporting more advanced digitally focused services in partnership with other Baston class providers, including content development, presentation, A-B testing, SEO, search engine optimization, and more. Clearly, Chris, you're leading a unique transformational approach, leveraging your experiences at McKinsey and IBM to create a balanced methodology that focuses on a grand vision and a few select North Stars, leading from the top, but also leveraging from the bottom up. Your philosophy is that you must meet in the middle, test and learn, iterate and refine to drive new approaches, new answers and new solutions from strategic all the way down to the shelf. At the end of the day, I think you summed it up nicely. Success in the future will come from working with partners like IRI to deliver that holy grail, that single dashboard through which we strategize and prioritize to achieve the maximum ROI. That's how companies win. Thank you. For our listeners and viewers, this recorded conversation will be available at our website, www.iriworldwide.com. We hope you'll take an opportunity to review our other thought leadership, including valuable reports and a dashboard of economic indicators, as well as our C-suite conversation series. Thanks so much for joining us today and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.